Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. I'm Matt Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Hot Pursuit. You may have noticed that we sound a little bit different. I'm in my basement in Scarsdale uh, today. And Hannah is in a boutique hotel in Paris. We're going to talk about that. But obviously, it affects the audio quality. It's different than when we're both in the studio. Also, a reminder that you can send us an email uh, and give us any suggestions or ask us any questions. We've had some really good back and forth with a couple of listeners over the past couple of weeks, and we want to keep that going. Our email address, Hannah? HotPursuit at Bloomberg.net. Not .com, .net. .net. That's very important. Okay. Uh, in terms of what we're going to talk about today, I want to focus mainly on uh, Paris uh, just Paris in general, but also on the classic car show that Hannah um, is attending, Retromobile, as well as the R.M. Sotheby's auction. And uh, I also want to talk about a conundrum that I have, which is finding a family vehicle that is not a minivan and isn't powered by a V6. It's very difficult, actually, especially if you're on a constrained budget. So it'll be helpful uh, to talk about those things. Let's kick it off with the, um, obviously, the retro mobile. And Hannah, just first off, you're there. Tell us what it is, because a lot of people maybe haven't heard of Retromobile. It's a quintessentially Parisian experience to be at Retromobile, which it's kind of like the SEMA show, but for classic cars. So if you know the SEMA show, you know that it's an aftermarket show. It's a, for off-roading vehicles and for big trucks and for suppliers and for brokers. That's kind of what Retromobile is. It's a big classic car show in Paris at the Port of Versailles. And it's for a lot of aftermarket sellers and dealers, people who make parts and components for classic cars, people who do restorations and modifications. It's not for, obviously, the the big OEM type brands, although we're starting to see a few come here, which is an interesting thing that's a bit new. It's for the aftermarket, guys. It's for the real enthusiasts. Um, it's for the collector and the real passionate classic car enthusiasts. And it's incredible. It's it's three and a half days in Paris. And then there are auctions as well. So it's pretty incredible. And what I love as an American coming here is I see a lot of cars that we never see in the United States. You know, yes. French brands, of, of course, which it's incredible. I really recommend going if you can. I would love to be there and check it out. I'm not sure about French brands and a lot of European <laughs> cars that we don't see in the States. I'm pretty happy about. I'll get a lot of hate for that. But the whole kind of Jalopnik crew and their obsession with Citroen, I never got that. Oh. I can't get into these vehicles uh, that are, I, I think, less about performance and more about French design. But 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 tell us a few that you think sure. have, have been really interesting. Okay, so that that's a fair point. But I would say the old Citroens from the 70s are, they're like so ugly, they're beautiful. Phil Toledano said this French phrase, if you know him, he's Mr. Enthusiast. He's a car and a watch guy. He said the French have a phrase which is called beautiful ugly. 
I don't know the French version, but that's kind of how I see a citron. As my mom would say, it's so ugly, it's cute. So yeah, you've got the citrons, of course, but then you also have, and I think you might be a little bit more interested in these, Matt. You've got the rally cars from Group B that sort of never made it to the States. And you've got rally cars that like won Dakar, or you got rally cars from, uh, you know, I don't know, other other obscure European rallies. And they could be Audis, they could be Porsches. We've got the Rothman Porsche here, the actual original one. They could be weird Toyotas. They're really cool off-road stuff that we just don't see in the U.S. because they're from really obscure European rallies. So that's cool. And then you get really rare things like last night, um, Simon Kitson, who's a really well-known dealer here, he's, he sold the Uledhout Mercedes, the, the, the most expensive car ever sold. That came from Simon Kitson. He's got a booth here, and he had a white Ferrari GTO, which I've never seen a white one. So it's very obscure, unique, rare oddities that might have originated in Europe and never actually made it to the United States. So you feel as an American that you're seeing really interesting, cool things. And of course, the car you mentioned, the Rolls-Royce Camargue, which I'm starting to like it. I didn't like them at first. It's this very square Rolls-Royce. This one uh, was from 81. But the thing is, it's Pininfarina design. Um, So it comes by its looks very honestly. And I don't know, it's kind of growing on me. Uh, how do you spell that? And and what is it exactly, <laughs> a Camargue? I mean, because I thought Rolls-Royce only made, you know, especially in the 80s, their standard, you know, like the car that, that you have. Um, or Yes, the Silver Shadow. They're like the, the big S- state. I think, I, I think the SZ body cars are from the 80s, right? So what is the Camargue? Yeah. So the Camargue, you spell it C-A-M-A-R-G-U-E, and it is a two-door, it's a big sedan, but it's two doors, and it's square. It kind of reminds me of an Aston Martin Lagonda from the same era. It's completely squared off, and uh, like I said, designed by Pininfarina, this one had some really cool details like brushes on the headlamps to literally brush off the headlamps that are horsehair um brushes which i thought was really interesting it's a it's it's a it's got two bench seats um the interior of this one was basically pure white and this was kind of the unloved un unloved underloved undervalued rolls royce um the one i saw last night the estimate was like 65 to 85,000 it sold for just over 50,000 uh, dollars and that probably was a good deal. I think that's about where the market is. So they're more expensive, for instance, than the Silver Shadow that I bought and own. That was like twenty thousand um, dollars. So they're more expensive than that. But I do think, and from what I hear, that there's some room to grow because they're they're very polarizing. Some people hate them. They are. It, it's it's a harsh thing to look at sometimes, yeah. but it's fun. Well, I like it a lot. And this is kind of in the ugly, beautiful camp. I mean, not really. I yes. think it's more more beautiful, but it definitely is squared off and looks like 
it's got kind of an Oldsmobile look, you know? I mean, yes. uh, like yes. an American, um, big American car from, from the 80s, but uh, the horse, hide bru- horse hair brushes on the headlights are yes. an interesting touch. And the one that so- sold had like a gold spirit of ecstasy, ecstasy right? Uh, completely. Yes, completely. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's an acquired taste. You kind of have, I, I, for me, it's like, you just want to have fun with it. Um, and that's what it is, but yeah, it's, it's not for everyone. Oh, and another card just reminded me, I was going to say, you might have trouble finding someone who can work on it for you in the States. Um, I saw this cool, uh, Maserati Mistral, um, that still had the dust on it. It was a barn fine again, you know, very rare Maserati. I, of course, and and I think the estimate on it was like $50,000. So these aren't crazy expensive. But then I start to think, well, who's going to work on this for me? And that's that's where the challenge comes in. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a, a, kind of a weird car. That That's a great example of these European cars that you don't see too much in the U.S. And I don't think it's a horrible thing <laughs> because it's yeah. not, not really a beauty. I mean, Maserati did those big rear windshields and I, I mean it's an interesting car yes with an inline yeah. six which is I, I always love an inline six but by the way the the uh the aftermarket part of retromobile is it a show mm. that's aimed at restoring everything to original or is it um kind of increasingly resto mod because that's getting so big mm. here is it big there yeah. as well it's big and it's getting bigger, bigger. It's both to answer your question. And that reminded me, you know, Bizzarini had a booth there and Bizzarini is kind of like the thinking man's Ferrari. It's similar uh, design, similar engine from the same era race cars that look like Ferraris. Um, Bizzarini was, is actually doing uh, full on continuation cars that they were selling at Retromobile. So um, I don't know what the pricing will be, but their big thing I was talking to their PR guy um, is that they are doing continuation Bizzarinis that are a little bit bigger inside to fit men of your stature, for instance, Magnus. I mean, basically anyone who's over 5'8 and who isn't an actual race car driver size. So, yeah, to your point, I mean, it's continuation cars from some of these old European brands that are really school, obscure, like Bizzarini. Um, And then, yeah, it's, it's restoration um, components, parts. And then it's, it, it is also um, it's sort of new old things, too. There are tons of minis, tons of Fiats, you know, that sort of thing, too. Yeah. So I mean, um, really, really interesting. I love the Bizzarini. And those are very expensive. The continuation costs. Yes. They're like two. It's like dollars. Ferrari prices. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They're very, very. And it's like, honestly, I think part of the reason why you might get a continuation Bizzarini is if you own an original one, <laughs> and you don't want to drive, you don't want to put the miles on the the actual real one that you own. You might actually buy a continuation car to drive and enjoy that. And I know that sounds insane, but in this echelon of buyer it actually makes sense because they don't want to devalue the, the original car that they own. Well, um, so there is a market for that. I feel like that might be one of the coolest, a reason to go to Retromobile because I, I love the continuation cars that are made in Europe um, versus American mm-hmm. kit cars. And they do um, continuation versions of like a Bentley 8. They do a yes. continuation version of the Maserati Jaguars. 250F. Yeah, Jag some of the Jaguar well. race cars. Yeah. 
I think it's fun, you know. And some of those guys race those cars too, which is even more fun. Yeah, I would just like to obviously drive around in one. And I love the idea of making older cars that are classic and beautiful just a tick bigger. I was looking at um, mm-hmm. some uh, 60s Camaros. And I always, you know, they, they look so cool in the shape, the silhouette. You see them in like cartoons always. Uh, there's a ripoff of basically an old Camaro mm-hmm. look for the bad guy. But they're too small for a modern person. And I always yes. think it would be cool for someone to make a, a recreation of um, a late 60s Camaro in like one and a half times scale because uh, yes. that would be sweet. Yeah, well, the guys from Bizzarini are, are totally on that wavelength. And, and they said, look, the car is going to obviously look the same as the original, but they are going to make it a little more livable for like the modern <laughs> the modern driver who's had enough nutrition so that you can, you know, get a little bit bigger. <laughs> Speaking of uh, more livable and cars that you can drive around, we were talking recently about the Ferrari FF and how it might be yes. a good you know, buy in the future, they're selling, they, they, they were panned, widely panned when they first came out for, um, being, I guess, ugly, beautiful or more just ugly. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. uh, I think they came out in 2010 or 2011 and now they're going for a hundred thousand. I saw one recently went at auction for over $300,000. So it's already starting. What? Why? Why? Well, what? Did it have like 10 miles on it? Why was that so expensive? No, it was white and it had uh, a, a red interior. And I don't think oh, I, I like want that. a white FF. But I think people I'd are just starting to realize, you know, Gen X, um, sorry, not Gen X, uh, millennials and maybe Gen Z buyers um, especially yeah. are wanting less of the sort of classic um, 60s and 70s cars and more into the 80s, 90s, and now I guess obviously the um, 2000s and 2010s, and they want more livable vehicles. So that FF, obviously yeah. with the back seats and the all-wheel drive, um, it's always an automatic transmission. I believe it's just easier to deal with. Yeah, I think it really feels this year already that the car sales and the auctions are going that direction. For instance, at this RM Sotheby's auction, which was really great, by the way, it was in the basement of the Louvre, which I didn't realize you could have a car auction in the basement of the Louvre, but you can. Um, Most of the cars that sold yesterday at this RM Sotheby's auction were modern, modern collectible, modern classic cars. I mean, made, made from the 90s forward and really from the 2000s forward. And I think to your point, Matt, People want something you can drive and it's not annoying or just a heavy, heavy lift. You just want to drive and enjoy it. Right. And I mean, my thing, obviously, because I'm, you know, six, four and a big person, I want to be able to fit in the car. And I also want it to be able to absorb a side impact if it happens. Yeah, that's I look at these classics um, from the 60s. And I obviously I want a Mopar from back then or. Um, you know, a, a late 60s Mustang or a Mach 1 or something. But I feel like I would be toast if I got hit in an intersection. Yeah. And that's why the newer ones are uh, uh, draw me to them. Um, the safety aspect is a big one for me as well. But So the, so the auction is in the basement of the Louvre. And okay. what were some of the cool sales yeah. other than the Camargue? What, what else did you see there? <laughs> okay, so um, 
This was really interesting because I noticed, I went to the preview yesterday, and I noticed that a lot of these cars were offered without reserve, which is great for us because it means that stuff's going to sell. Um, I think in the end they were, you know, 82, 84 sell-through rate. If I if I did my math generally, they're over 80%. So, so that was good. It was very interesting to see. There was most notably the car that did not sell that I think people thought might was this 911 GT2 that is the first GT2 and the only naturally aspirated GT2. And that Ah. car got bit up. Yes, so extremely rare, but that car had over 130,000 miles on it and it had been repainted. So... That car got bid up to 1.9 million and did not sell, which was really interesting to me because wow. on the yeah on the one hand that's a lot of money and I'm I'm really surprised that that didn't even meet reserve, but on the other hand okay I guess it had been repainted and it had a lot of miles so that was just a surprise. Um, I don't know if that's really a commentary on the whole market for GT2s. I think this is a really interesting unique case. Um, but that was, yeah, a 96, 911 GT2, um, really cool looking car, black, black on black, didn't sell. Um, that is, so that was interesting. I I have to say that I've, I've sort of, I loved 993s, um, when they came out or sort of right after when they came out was when I was starting to get old enough to buy a car and, um, could afford, could afford one. And I think at the time that I was looking, um, the 996 was the current generation and people, uh, you know, nobody liked those broken egg uh, mm-hmm. headlights. So people were looking at the used market and 993s were already getting more expensive. And then later, of course, people would say, oh, it's the last air-cooled uh, motor. So everybody was bidding them up like crazy. And I didn't love the way the headlights um, were so angled the on the egg hood. headlights. I prefer sure, the 964, the kind of frog-eye headlights, you know? So yep. I yep. was never that into them, but I saw a picture of this one, I think, um, on Magnus's Instagram, and mm-hmm. uh, 130,000, I think it was kilometers, right? Not miles. 130,000. Yeah, that's probably right. Kilometers. Yeah, so go. it's not that yep. high mileage, but still, for such a, um, for such a, a high-end uh, you know, supercar at the time, it was definitely a supercar. That's a lot of miles. Somebody mm-hmm. was clearly mm-hmm. daily driving this thing. And which is cool. Yeah, for sure. I love that. And what you guys always say is that, you know, if you drive them more often, you're probably going to have less problems, fewer problems than you would if it's mm-hmm. a garage queen, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. What, what, yeah. what's the, was it really a GT2 or did they, they didn't use that nomenclature, did they at the time? My understanding is they changed it. This was the one that they made under that nomenclature, and then they completely changed it. So it kind of snuck in and was basically a one-of-one one before they swapped it over to GT3. That's my understanding. Um, so that, yeah, so that makes it very rare. The other one that was really interesting that did sell while we're on the topic is this uh, 2004 911 GT2 but it's a club sport. And that was listed as an, at an estimate up to 500,000 euros. And it sold for about half that, um, almost three, well, le- less, more than half, but almost 300,000 euros. 
So that one did end up selling. That's a but steal. it was for a lot less. Right. It was for a lot less than the high estimate. Um, again, I don't I don't know what this means other than I think a lot of things were selling. And it's just interesting to note that the right things will sell, but the right person's got to be in the room. And if if there's no one who happens to be in the room who wants, you know, extremely rare GT2, it's not going to sell. So that fascinating. Is, that, it really is fascinating. I mean, I can't believe yeah. that the 993 uh, didn't sell at 1.9 million with 130,000 kilometers on it. And then the right? 2004 uh, Club Sport goes for 300. And obviously in 10 years, that's going to be the one that people won't believe didn't right. sell for like 3.9 million. That's crazy. I know. Yeah. So I, it kind of makes me think, and I did look at some of the, you know, the Scottsdale auctions were um, recently like a week and a half ago. And I think they were down a little bit. You know, going into this year, it's still really too early to tell what everything is going to shake out to. But it seems like there are deals to be had, but there's no guarantee. And it's worth just looking at stuff because who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? You know, we've been talking about Jaguars and there was an XJR there um, that I saw that was listed for like 50 euros. And I need to actually check and see if it <laughs> I forgot to check and see if it sold. Um, 50,000 or 50 me- euros? Did I say 50 euros? 50,000. Okay. Because ah, 50, I, I would bid on that for sure. No. Yeah, so would I. So it, I think the estimate was 50,000. I'm just now seeing, I'm looking at results. It went for 40,000 euros. You know, for an XJR, I think that's probably market value. It's the XJRS. But again, I don't know. There, there's, there's stuff to be had. But to your earlier point, it seems like the modern collectible, modern classic, young timer type stuff is really going to be strong and popular yeah for sure i mean i was recently looking at xjrs Mm -hmm. because i know you mentioned that yeah because uh not only are they i think um you know they're so uh classy looking and Mm -hmm. you can probably fit a couple of car seats in the back which is very important to me right now but (laughs) they seem like pretty solid i mean the xjr has the the four liter v8 which is apparently the perfect size right if you want a perfect engine i guess 500 cc's per cylinder is what they've arrived at now but the s is Mm -hmm. a v12 fancy yeah very fancy fancy. and uh i'm loving the look of those especially with the flying buttresses in the back by the way i I looked up the ferrari and uh that you mentioned the auctions this uh, scottsdale auctions and that's where the uh ferrari ff sold it was uh, $324,000. What? That's insane. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, you I mean, called it. I, don't I mean, get you, it. you said this is going to be one of those cars, and I think Hagerty yeah. also yeah. had it listed as one of those uh, cars that was poised to take off. And it looks like yeah. maybe it's happening <laughs> already. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash futureinvestor slash radio. I want to uh, just talk about Paris itself for a second. Yes. 
what a lovely city and you have lived in New York and you now live in Los mm. Angeles and now you're in Paris. So tell me about, you know, just mm. being there. What kind of cars are you seeing? What kind of people are mm. you meeting? What are you doing? I love Paris so much. I love it because the French have a certain amount of dignity and a and a strong appreciation for beauty. It feels like the French love beauty for beauty's sake and they value it. And I I really love that. So I I'm here half for retromobile, but then also I'm trying to take a few days off and burn vacation days while I can at the start of the year. We'll see how that goes. But, you know, I've gone to the Rothko exhibit um, out at the Louis Vuitton Foundation, which is really excellent. I really recommend it. They've got, I didn't actually realize that Rothko had tried to do figure painting early in his career, which I had no idea. And it's not great. And that's why he gave it up. They also had his only self-portrait that he ever uh, produced. Um, so that was really great to see. Uh, I feel a connection with Rothko because I'm from Oregon originally, and he, of course, immigrated to Portland. Um, so I, I like that about him, among other things. But that was great. You know, I of course, there are dinners and that sort of thing. I'm going to go to Maxime's on Saturday. You know, that oh. old Paris. I know. I'm very excited about that. Apparently, it's so had a romantic. resurgence. Yes, yes. Um, so... That'll be great. Oh, speaking of flying buttresses, uh, I walked past Notre, Notre Dame and they are, it's heavily under construction, but they are saying that by 2025, all the repairs from that fire that took it down will be done. So I guess not in time for the Olympics this summer, but by next year, all of the repairs from that terrible fire will be done. So that's exciting. Where are you yeah, staying? staying Where, I always find Paris well, interesting because they have so many cool boutique hotels that really are um, yes. fun and are actually affordable. Yes. I I have to say I love a grand hotel when I'm not paying for it. But when I am paying for it, it's really lovely to stay in a boutique hotel. And I'm staying at Hotel Amour, which if you know Andre Sariva, the graffiti artist who does those stick figure graffiti guys, it's his hotel. It's in the Pigalle very close to Moulin Rouge. Um, it's such a lovely, someone described it as a bohemian hotel, but it is really lovely. Um, I'm in this sort of loft room with black mirrored walls, and it's a loft with skylights from the ceiling and sort of this Yves Klein blue on a couple walls. So it feels very Parisian, and it's really affordable. They're very friendly. I've stayed here many times. Um, so I'm really liking it. It feels comfortable and charming and very French, which we love. Very cool. It makes me nostalgic for yeah. Paris. It, I would love to to be there. I'm stuck in the suburbs here. You know, I just had my, <laughs> my second kid, so I'm in full dad mode. Um, and I'm looking for a family vehicle right now that isn't a minivan. And I've got a few constraints. So my wife has said I'm not allowed to spend more than $50,000 I feel like I could push Fine. that a little bit. But I don't want, you know, like, for example, the Telluride is a great vehicle, but it's a naturally aspirated V6, and it's just like such a boring motor. And so many of them yeah. are. So I want something a little bit more special. And I've also got to be able to fit two rear-facing car seats, which is a huge constraint, by okay. the way. Um, okay. I've narrowed it down essentially to 2020 Mercedes GLS 450. They're gigantic. And frankly, they might as well be minivans. Mm -hmm. But they have a really cool mm -hmm. inline six that's supposedly very smooth. And I haven't test driven one yet, but All I'm right. going to. Or uh, 2019 
brace yourself, Range Rover long wheelbase. Um, oh, that's cool. It's you know, It's got a ton of room for rear-facing car seats, and it's got the supercharged 5-liter V8. I wouldn't go for the V6, but... Um, you know, there are problems with reliability. Like even if I get one for 50 grand, uh, I'm going to, am I, yeah. am I going to be facing like 10 or $20,000 repair bills every year? That's my concern. So I wonder what, what your take is on those two vehicles, or if you can think of anything else that might be in the range. Okay. Well, um, obviously Mercedes seems like a solid, but, um, yes, great. I don't, I don't know if that it's, you said GLS, right? The GLS. Um, it's just the big honker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, the big one. I mean, do you like how that looks? I don't hate how it looks. Like I said, it almost might as well be a minivan. Everyone talks yeah. about it as a bus. But the thing is, my problem is in the – we have an XC90 right now, and I just got out mm-hmm. of um, an SQ7, Audi SQ7 I was test driving for a week, which I absolutely yes. loved. And with the rear-facing car seat, and my wife has chosen the biggest ones possible because she wants our kids to be so safe. I don't know how necessary that is. <laughs> it, it means that I have to push my seat forward or or the passenger. Oh. Or now we have two kids. So both seats are going to be forward. And I just don't drive very well in that position. I need a lot of space. You know, I'm American yeah. and, and huge. So yeah. There are very few cars that that fit those rear-facing car seats. You know, I was trying to get the BMW M760, and Uh, frankly, a 7 Series, uh, um, a Mercedes S-Class, or an Audi A8, all of those, especially the long version, would fit the bill, but my wife refuses to get a sedan. So I've I've been pushed into the SUV territory. I understand. What Have you looked at any Cadillacs? So... The thing about the Cadillac Escalade, even um, the GMC Yukon, and even the Chevy Tahoe, the most yeah. recent generations of these, if you look at them with, say, 50,000 miles, 60,000 miles or less, they cost more than the Range Rover or the Mercedes that I'm comparing them to. Yeah. I mean, it was part of the problem is that oh, the I'm most shocked. recent generation of those was, I think, 2021. So okay. they're newer vehicles. Um, but I think the other part of the problem is that, you know, here in America, those are highly valued vehicles. So, yeah. they, you know, I looked at, for example, I was looking at a Suburban. Um, I wanted the mm-hmm. diesel motor or sure. even those are more expensive. So I'm wow. I'm kind of limited to these two vehicles as far as I can tell. And this is where, by the way, our email okay. is really helpful. If any listeners uh, can think yes. of something, please shoot us a message because I have about a month before I've got a make this purchase Those and it's big ho- it's hot pursuit hot pursuit at bloomberg.net hot yes, pursuit at bloomberg.net <laughs> <laughs> those big you know um body on frame trucks would be awesome and i've actually gotten permission my wife said oh i like to look at that tahoe you know but they're frankly more expensive than a slightly older used mercedes or uh, range rover how about the jeep grand cherokee they make a v8 right in fact, I love the Jeep Grand Cherokee L, okay. the long version. Okay. I think it's the first time they've made those. Would possibly right. uh, fit just barely these giant rear-facing car seats. And they have the 5.7-liter Hemi. I'm a huge fan. Uh, you know, sure. I have a 6.4-liter Hemi in my Challenger. But uh, my wife has ruled that out. She just doesn't like Why? the Jeep brand. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's like such an iconic brand. Interesting. I think it's okay. and also I think okay. it's a beautiful uh, redesign of the Grand Cherokee. I love the uh, the new grill 
um, it's kind of angled in like the um, like the Jeeps of old and uh, mm -hmm. the technology inside is amazing. Like they have interior uh, cameras so you can look at the kids on the front screen. Oh, that's And they've cool. got the Macintosh stereo system, which I think sounds pretty good. But um, yeah, no, I've, those have been ruled out. Okay, let me just, this is my last and final suggestion. And I know it's going to probably be a bit of a pain point, but does the G-Wagon not have enough room in the back? For, so we had the G-Wagon. I, I know, I know. Yeah. You liked but, it. You love it, right? Uh, we both love it. And especially, you know, my wife loved it uh, dearly, which I, I was kind of surprised by. It. It, it's interesting that she doesn't like the Jeep brand because she, her, some of my favorite, or her favorite cars that I have had, um, she loved the Raptor and she loved the G-Wagon. Oh. But the G-Wagon is... I don't know how I was able to afford it five years ago, but it's now, it's so expensive, even used, it's yeah. ridiculous. And yeah. it's a little too tight still for a rear-facing mm -hmm. car seat. We were able to make it work with yeah. the infant car seat, but once they get to toddler size, it's just yeah. too small. So I'm, I think these are my only two choices, the older long wheelbase Range Rover, and I'm terribly concerned about the reliability. Yeah, and... that's, a, that's a valid... Concern. It's valid, right? Is it still valid yeah. with the yeah. with the L four hundred five? Because I know the um, uh, I I think so. The previous version was was bad, and I just yeah, yeah they're just so expensive to fix. And then I wonder, is the Mercedes going to be any better? The Mercedes has to be better. I, all I know is anecdotal evidence evidence just off the top of my head. But I hear people complaining about their Land Rovers often in in whatever form, and I just don't have this. I don't I don't ever hear people bringing their Mercedes in for like stupid little repairs. That's anecdotal, but yeah, I know. I just feel like they, they have the air suspension too. And that seems to be one of the most expensive things to fix or one of the things that goes wrong yeah. all the time. I guess um, yeah. I'll have to be test driving these two and possibly invest in an aftermarket uh, extended warranty, but um, that's where I am. And yeah. anyone can think of something, something better. Cool. I guess that's all we have time for uh, this week. Again, please shoot us an email, uh, hotpursuit at bloomberg.net. And obviously, we'll be back same time, same place next week. I will be driving uh, next week the Ford F-250 Tremor for the 6.7 liter Power Stroke diesel. Oh, this is going to be, here we go. <laughs> I can already, I already know I'm going to be getting texts about this. <laughs> All right. I'm Matt Great. Miller. And I'm Hannah Elliott. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.